Hello, everyone. Um, so first of all, I would like to thank you for uh, inviting me to give this talk, which will deal with uh, vehicular networks, especially in large-scale urban environments. And uh, in particular, we will uh, discuss two aspects that are the mobility and connectivity in those networks. Um, this is basically the outline of the talk. I will first uh, uh, provide a definition uh, and discuss the motivation behind uh, the idea of vehicular networking. And then uh, we'll move to how we can model road traffic from a networking perspective, uh, let's say borrowing some tools from uh, traffic flow theory, that is transportation research basically. And uh, in the last part of the talk, uh, using the results of the previous part, uh, we will discuss the characterization of the network topology, of the vehicular network topology, uh, let's say, again, borrowing some tools from uh, complex network science in that case. So a quick introduction uh, uh, to vehicular networks. Uh, uh, basically, there you have some numbers that uh, show, if uh, we really need uh, uh, a demonstration of that, that today uh, roads are not as safe uh, as uh, we would like them to be. And uh, in fact, car accidents are one of the major causes of death uh, in uh, Europe uh, and the US. And they do not just have a huge cost in terms of uh, fatalities, in terms of human lives, but also in uh, uh, direct and indirect economical costs. And also, uh, we are not very efficient in exploiting the road topology, the road infrastructure that we have today, which results in traffic congestion that again has induces uh, huge economical costs. So vehicular networks uh, was first thought as uh, a potential solution to those issues. Uh, so within the context of intelligent transportation systems, the idea of vehicular networks is basically to enable direct communication uh, uh, among vehicles, so what we refer to as vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, uh, or communication between the vehicles and a dedicated roadside infrastructure, so vehicle-to-roadside infrastructure communication, V2E communication. And this communication is, uh, of course, uh, uh, realized by means of a wireless uh, link, which can possibly be a multi-hop uh, link in the sense that vehicles relay the message one to the other so that uh, we can, uh, let's say, reach, uh, the information can reach uh, uh, vehicles that are farther in space than the physical communication range uh, uh, of the wireless technology. And there you have a couple of uh, use cases uh, uh, for uh, vehicular networks, uh, let's say, as a so solution for uh, uh, road traffic safety and efficiency that are proposed by the car-to-car -car communication consortium. So those are just a couple of examples. In fact, you have plenty of those use cases. In case of an accident, uh, the vehicle that had the accident, if it is still capable of communicating, or vehicles that detect uh, the accident, since they are nearby, to the, nearby the vehicle that had the accident, can uh, inform through wireless communication uh, the vehicles that are arriving uh, of the accident so that Vehicles that are in proximity of the accident can slow down and avoid an accident themselves. And vehicles, this information can then be relayed back uh, towards vehicles that are farther in space so that they can basically learn about the accident and uh, possibly reroute to destination, avoiding the congestion that derives from the accident. Or in the second use case, you have an emergency vehicle that is approaching and uh, thanks to wireless multi-op communication, the emergency vehicle can basically inform with uh, a few minutes or or in, a, in advance, possibly, um, the, the cars that uh, is arriving so that the cars can move on the right lane and leave the, the left lane available uh, for the emergency vehicle. Now, uh, actually, let's say that road safety and, and traffic efficiency are intended to be the, the killer applications for the deployment of vehicular networks. However, if we actually deploy those kind of networks, then we can use it, you can use them for other purposes as well. So we can see vehicular networking as a sort of pervasive technology. And uh, the, let's say the division uh, that uh, people have is uh, something like what you have in the larger plot. Uh, this is taken, uh, this is courtesy of network on wheel. 
which is another uh, European initiative together with the Car to Car Consortium uh, dealing with, uh, you know, making those, thi those things become, become real. Uh, there you have a, a vehicular network where, again, we use vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure multi-op communication to build actually a communication system over a large-scale uh, uh, urban scenario. And this can be used uh, uh, for uh, purposes that are not uh, strictly related to road safety, uh, such as everything that concerns floating car data, so data that is generated by uh, vehicles, uh, by harvesting information from the environment uh, through the sensors that are today available on vehicles, including uh, well, GPS receivers, cameras, Bluetooth uh, communication capabilities, uh, etc. And uh, let's say this uh, floating car data is intended to be a key component of future urban sensing uh, uh, technologies. So, um, again, the, the vehicular network there can help uh, to collect uh, this information and uh, post-process it directly at the vehicles and communicate the information to the vehicles nearby so that uh, everyone is informed uh, of the, of course, specific information that is collected through floating car data. Uh, another application is uh, the offloading of the cellular infrastructure because, again, once we have this pervasive floating car data that is collected everywhere in an urban scenario. This data is typically uploaded, uh, uh, for some application at least, is uploaded to the cellular infrastructure. So we, have, uh, we can employ the network for an uplink uh, uh, cellular network uh, offloading by performing a local fusion of, uh, of the floating car data before uploading the data to the cellular infrastructure. And we can use the network also in downlink uh, because we can uh, possibly employ the vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle contacts, so the, the, the vehicular network, to disseminate contacts without resorting to, uh, let's say, connecting to each uh, car independently through the cellular infrastructure. Um, those are just some, you know, a couple of examples of possible applications. There are many more that are envisioned, more or less realistic, more or less, uh, let's say, visionary. Uh, but uh, now, let's say, if uh, we look uh, at this vehicular network uh, from a networking point of view rather than from an application point of view, um, well, what we're dealing with uh, is uh, a very large-scale system because basically it's a network that covers a, a whole city, as an example, uh, which is uh, time-varying because the mobility of the nodes force uh, basically a high variability on, on the existence of the links between the nodes. Um, and uh, moreover, the network is built on uh, wireless communication, which is not necessarily uh, reliable, and in fact is, is extremely unreliable, especially when you have uh, highly mobile uh, nodes that move at high speeds. And there's an additional point, uh, uh, since we're dealing with drivers uh, and uh, car traffic, uh, uh, we have plenty of privacy constraint and uh, security issues. So overall, from a networking point of view, it's a bit of a mess. It's a very challenging network to deal with. And uh, of course, we cannot think of, uh, if we want this network to work, we cannot think of reusing uh, uh, the same network protocols that we use, uh, of course, in the internet, but not even in other kinds of wireless networks, such as Wi-Fi networks, cellular networks, or even, uh, you know, wireless multi-op networks, such as sensor networks. And uh, not even networks of uh, other mobile uh, networks, such as networks of robots, because the mobility is totally different. So the question there is, uh, okay, how do we design dedicated protocols for this kind of extremely changing, changing network? And uh, a, let's say, sensible choice of the uh, process flow is to start from uh, the mobility uh, of the nodes. Since uh, uh, vehicles are going basically, uh, basically going to represent the nodes of the network, so as a first, very first step, it is important to know, at least, or to understand how those nodes move around. And uh, in parallel, uh, we have to study uh, which are the features, the characteristics of uh, the vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle link. So basically, which are the characteristics of the vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication technology. So to be able to say uh, which is the distance at which two vehicles can communicate, uh, which is the data rate, uh, so the speed of the communication they can uh, 
uh, employ um, all the features basically that are that are that allows us to determine when a link uh, exists between two vehicles and which is the capacity of that link. And if we have those two elements and bring them together, basically we have the notion of the position and mobility of the nodes. And we know when two nodes uh, basically share a link and putting everything together, we have the network topology. So basically we have a graph that describes uh, the structure of the network. And of course we're dealing with a time varying graph <laughs> since the mobility of the nodes uh, impacts the, the, the evolution uh, of, the, of the graph. This graph uh, uh, is something that we can, uh, again, study, analyze from uh, the point of view of the connectivity of the network. And uh, once we understand how the graph looks like, then uh, we can uh, actually move to the definition of protocol, of protocols. Uh, uh, in particular, we can discuss the relevance of the protocol. So is the protocol really useful given that uh, we have uh, certain uh, uh, topology properties? And if the protocol is actually useful, since uh, you know entire families of protocols that are used uh, today in the internet, as an example, or uh, in uh, in uh, other kinds of uh, wireless multi-op networks, may be totally useless uh, uh, in a network that has uh, a network topology that is uh, that has uh, given features, uh, peculiar features. And if the protocol is relevant. Uh, can we use this information about the topology characterization to design uh, it, so to define, uh, to define which are the features of the protocol uh, that we need to implement so as to leverage the strength of the network connectivity and uh, so to also to make up for the weaknesses of, of, the, of the network graph. And finally, of course, we can use this kind of data to evaluate our protocol and state if the protocol is actually efficient or not. And what I'm going to discuss uh, in the talk is basically uh, the first point. So how can we achieve uh, uh, a proper description of the node mobility? And then uh, once this is done, uh, what do we see when we analyze the structure of the network? So next step, uh, let's look at how we can model road traffic Again, from a networking perspective, since this is the goal. Uh, I mean, if I was to show those, some of those the things I'm going to tell you to transportation research experts, they would pre probably be somehow scared. But uh, let's say that we are keeping the, our networking perspective. And so the first question that uh, uh, we ask ourselves is, uh, where do we get the, the data that we need from? Or even before, which is the data that we actually need? So from a networking perspective, from a vehicular network perspective, what we need is actually uh, a knowledge of the position and movement of each uh, vehicle in uh, the large scale urban area we are targeting as our scenario um, with a high precision in terms of location of each uh, vehicle uh, since we, we need a precision in the order of I would say uh, the meter in order to be accurate when we define the topology of the network. And uh, we also want a high time granularity. That is to say, we want the, the, the position of the vehicles to be known at each uh, second at least. So where do we get this kind of data from? Well, uh, the, the, the most uh, intuitive and, and of course, uh, let's say reliable way is to get this data from the real world. So to exploit data sets that are directly uh, obtained from uh, recording what happens uh, in the real world. And uh, actually, this data is uh, available uh, at uh, transportation authorities, uh, telecom operators that can get, uh, extract the data from uh, uh, you know, the mobility of mobile phones, uh, and also automobile service providers, uh, uh, since uh, they are today collecting this kind of data. I don't know if you're aware of that, but if you buy today a recent, uh, um, as an example, TomTom -tom navigation system, uh, it doesn't just have a GPS receiver, but it also has uh, a, a cellular interface that uh, uploads uh, your position with a given frequency to uh, the TomTom -tom, uh, uh, traffic management centers through the cellular network so that they can use this information, which is of course an anonymized, at least this is what they say, 
to uh, compute uh, in real time what's the status of the traffic and then feedback to you this information so that uh, your navigation system can reroute, uh, uh, possibly reroute, uh, uh, let's say, you uh, through a more efficient path accounting for uh, live traffic information. So also automobile service providers start to have this information. Uh, the problem with those data sets is that uh, Typically, they are not available uh, due to privacy issues, uh, industrial secrecy, etc. Uh, it's very hard to have this kind of data, and sometimes we can have them. Actually, as an example, uh, the, there's a vast number of open data open data initiatives that are, have been are being run by municipalities to open databases uh, of uh, of uh, large cities to to everyone. And in those uh, among those data, we Some, sometimes have uh, transportation information, transportation data. So those are typically counts of uh, uh, the volume of traffic uh, at uh, road intersections or uh, along uh, major uh, uh, road arteries. So we sometimes have access to this data, but uh, the problem there is that uh, for the moment, at least, that this data is uh, not adequate to what to do, to what we actually need. Since uh, uh, it is either missing in the sense that we don't have transportation information or incomplete uh, in the sense that if, even if we have macroscopic data about the mobility of the vehicles, this macroscopic data is not sufficient, uh, uh, doesn't have the, the uh, accuracy that we need to obtain uh, uh, the information about the mobility of each individual vehicle. So, Hopefully, one day the, the, the data on top will be available and this data will be precise enough uh, for our uh, goals. But for the moment, we cannot rely on that. And I fear that uh, this situation will stay like this for the next uh, at least uh, five to ten years. So another possibility is to employ data sets that uh, have been collected by, uh, let's say, through academic efforts. So those are data sets collected uh, by recording, uh, uh, again, periodically the position of uh, vehicles in a real-world environment. Uh, there's a number of, uh, uh, well, uh, initiatives of, of that kind, and so we have a number of data sets that are available. However, again, we have a problem there because uh, those data sets uh, have a time granularity that doesn't match what we need uh, because in, it is in the order of tens of seconds or hundreds of seconds. And uh, also, the data sets are, of course, limited in terms of uh, uh, road traffic coverage in the sense that they cover a small portion of the traffic and typically they are related to uh, fleets of vehicles such as buses or taxis that have uh, a mobility uh, or that represent only one portion of the road traffic and whose mobility is uh, very different from the mobility of, uh, as an example, uh, uh, privately owned vehicles, since buses are following regular routes and taxis have somehow a random mobility around uh, the, ur <coughs> Sorry, about the urban area, whereas uh, privately owned vehicles actually uh, have uh, more predictable uh, Uh, patterns that follow the, the, the daily activities of, of the drivers. So overall, we have problems there as well. We cannot really use this data directly uh, as it is, uh, since, again, we're just looking at the road traffic subset and the time granularity is too coarse. So overall, what we're left with is uh, synthetic datasets. That is to say, datasets that are obtained through simulation. So uh, in that case, We have a full range of uh, tools that we can use that are open source, freely available to generate this kind of, uh, uh, of synthetic data sets. And uh, since we're speaking of a simulation, we have the potential to overcome any of the issues of the previous data sets because we can control the scale, the duration, the granularity in time and space, uh, the availability, the reproducibility of the simulation. So we have full control on the trace, on the data set. However, we are moving, we are doing a big step because we are moving from uh, uh, the real world data to synthetic data. So, of course, the big question there is what's the level of realism of, of this kind of synthetic data sets? Can we really rely on them? Are they really realistic? And this brings uh, us to the, let's say, a, a quick uh, discussion of what do we need 
to make those uh, synthetic data sets actually uh, reliable, so realistic. And uh, basically, transportation uh, research uh, uh, teaches us that uh, we need three components. The first component is uh, the road topology and infrastructure information. That is basically information about the road layout and about the road infrastructure in a transportation sense. So we need information about uh, the speed limits uh, uh, on each road, uh, about the presence of traffic lights, the periodicity of the traffic lights, uh, the presence of uh, stop signs, uh, so everything that is road signalization. And uh, if uh, we look at this from a, networking from a networking perspective, well, what's the description of uh, the road topology that we have uh, in the net networking, vehicular networking literature? And we can see that basically 10 years ago or so, people started evaluating vehicular networks in very simplistic uh, road topologies, so the famous or infamous Manhattan layouts that are basically regular grids. And then quite rapidly, the, the, the literature, let's say, moved uh, through uh, defined, manually defined layout that somehow recalled uh, real-world topologies and uh, then to automated, uh, uh, let's say, representation, generation of uh, something that looked like a real-world uh, uh, road uh, layout uh, through, as an example, cluster Voronoi tessellation of space. And finally, we arrived at uh, um, considering a real-world road topology. Uh, as an example, the, the street layouts obtained through the Tiger database. And Today, what we have uh, is, uh, uh, let's say, information or uh, sources such as Ertico uh, and OpenStreetMap that provide us a detailed description uh, of the road layout, but also the information on the road infrastructure that we actually need. So we can find there information about the traffic lights uh, or the road speed limit. And uh, one question is, again, looking at the problem or the, this component from a networking perspective, What's the impact of this? Uh, that is to say, do we really know to have uh, a real-world uh, road topology or we can just use uh, a, a uniform grid, a regular grid, and we will have the same results? And actually, there's an early and surprising finding of one of the very first papers dealing with vehicular networks that stated that uh, road traffic, okay, considering the performance of a specific uh, routing protocol in a vehicular network, uh, road traffic, so vehicular mobility in the real world, in dense uh, urban areas, so in city centers, uh, basically looked like or provide the same performance as a random waypoint mobility. And this is uh, somehow, well, surprising and also questionable if you want, because random waypoint mobility is something that looks like this. So it's basically nodes moving randomly uh, in a non-constrained region. So what the authors are stating there is that, uh, well, uh, road traffic in the city center looks like uh, this. Okay, so what's the problem there? Well, uh, uh, again, this is a very early result, so it's comprehensible that uh, errors were made. But uh, the point is that uh, the result was biased by the fact that, that okay, they considered a, a very, let's say, pervasive road topology that basically allowed vehicles to move uh, everywhere in the region. But more importantly, they neglected the other two components that are the vehicular mobility model and the traffic flow model. And neglecting those two, those two models makes uh, your real-world uh, topology have no impact on uh, on uh, the, the connectivity of the network, on the performance of, uh, of the protocols. So this motivates to go uh, towards the second point, that is the vehicular mobility model. Those are basically analytical representations uh, of uh, the behavior of uh, one driver given uh, specific uh, traffic condition the driver finds uh, himself or herself in. That is to say, those models basically determine, uh, generate the, the acceleration of the vehicle depending on the presence of near vehicles in front or in the back or availability of uh, a left lane to overtake, a right lane to slow down, presence of traffic lights, etc. And uh, actually there we have uh, a full range of models. Some of those were proposed initially by networking researchers, again, t 10 years ago, 
And those were very simplistic models based uh, basically on stochastic choices uh, of the speed. And then somehow, again, uh, people from the networking, vehicular networking uh, research community uh, discovered that uh, actually transportation research uh, has been studied those models for seven, 60 years. And so they have a full, uh, let's say, uh, a broad range of classes of different models. So you have models that uh, are actually uh, based on uh, or use macroscopic properties of the vehicular mobility to determine the speed of each vehicle. Models, those are the models proposed by the vehicular community based on uh, stochastic choices of speed by the vehicles. Models that take into account uh, the interaction between two vehicles to determine uh, uh, the speed, uh, the acceleration of the vehicle so that we avoid uh, basically uh, accident between vehicles. And then we have models that not only account car-to-car uh, -car interactions, but also car-to-infrastructure interactions, so that we have different behaviors if uh, uh, we have stop signs uh, at, uh, at the intersections or traffic lights at the intersections. And of course, uh, those models have different complexities, so you go from very simple model to uh, more complex model with a cost in, term of, in terms of uh, uh, let's say, computa computational complexity of generating the mobility. So again, an interesting question here is, from a networking point of view, do we really need to go towards uh, realistic models, or we can just rely on those which are much uh, easier to, uh, to, to generate and, let's say, uh, to, to use, especially in large-scale scenarios? And uh, actually, uh, what was uh, found is that uh, uh, if we use different models, uh, we have a connectivity of the network that is very different. So the models actually have a huge impact on the connectivity of the network, even uh, in a small-scale scenario. So there you have distribution, uh, for bit density function distribution, uh, of uh, the node degree, so the, the number of neighbors uh, a vehicle can communicate with, and uh, the same, the PDF always of the link duration, so the duration of a contact between two vehicles, when different models are used, when different vehicular mobility models are used, uh, in a very small uh, scenario, very simple uh, road topology. And what we see is that basically that even in such a simple road topology, uh, even if we don't have a lot of vehicles, well, uh, the vehicular mobility model is biasing uh, in, in a critical uh, way the distributions, which means that basically the connectivity that you get with different models is not the same, and in particular the connectivity that you get with uh, a realistic uh, vehicular model is definitely not the same as the connectivity that you get with uh, a non-realistic one. So overall, uh, this is, uh, let's say, uh, uh, in support of the fact that uh, we should consider realistic vehicular mobility models and uh, Simplistic models, such as the stochastics one, uh, must be considered as, regarded as harmful. And if we use uh, the same, uh, uh, we, we made the same observation, but on a much larger scale, we have uh, that uh, if we use unrealistic or simplistic uh, vehicular mobility models on a large scale, we have a scenario like this one that depicts uh, uh, road traffic uh, in uh, a region around Zurich in Switzerland. Uh, well, using those models uh, is fine, actually, from uh, a transportation research point of view where only macroscopic measures uh, are of interest. But from a networking uh, uh, point of view, uh, the use of simplistic uh, vehicular mobility models lead to a very uniform distribution of vehicles over, over the road, and which in turn leads to an over-optimistic connectivity of the network. So basically, if we look at the connectivity of this network, um, there you have uh, something like this. Each bubble is basically one component, that is to say one group of uh, nodes that are basically vehicles that are connected to each other. So, so I can go anywhere within the, the, the blue bubble, as an example, from anywhere to anywhere. Uh, and actually there we have, uh, in this network snapshot, uh, we have uh, 24. 1,000 uh, vehicles in the road topology, on the road topology, and the, we have the biggest component that basically uh, gathers uh, more than 16,000 vehicles, and then we have much smaller components that basically never exceed 400 vehicles, which basically means that uh, this uh, uniform distribution of vehicles over the road topology leads, from a connectivity point of view, to a 
very large or giant connected components. So basically, in this kind of mobility, with this kind of mobility, any, any vehicle can communicate with any other vehicle on the road topology, and uh, as we will see next, this is extremely unrealistic. Okay, so finally, last, uh, the last component is the traffic flow model. What we have now, we have is a description of the road topology, a description of the mobility of each individual vehicle, and uh, uh, what we lack is the information about uh, the origin and destination of uh, each uh, trip of each vehicle, as well as the time at which this trip uh, starts, and uh, the path uh, that is followed, so the route that is followed from this uh, origin to the destination for each vehicle. Since uh, it is, uh, of course, this information that uh, allows us to define the large-scale flows of vehicles through the urban area. So, again, there we have, uh, we can rely on uh, uh, transportation uh, uh, research, and uh, uh, typically the traffic flow model is composed of a travel demand, that is this origin-destination couple for each vehicle, plus a traffic assignment that is the decision on the route to take uh, from uh, the origin to the destination. And uh, again, we have different models, different choices. Uh, uh, we can have a travel demand that is built on personal perception, that it basically means uh, uh, that we generate uh, this uh, origin and destination based on our knowledge of, of the urban area, plus a shortest path to compute, uh, a shortest path argument to compute uh, the traffic assignment. Or we can have uh, a travel demand that is derived from uh, land use information, so knowledge about which are the uh, residential area of the city or the commercial area or the business areas of the city, plus uh, detector data, so data that is uh, collected from roadside detectors, so basically volumes of traffic uh, uh, over the day, to determine so the travel demand, while the traffic assignment in this specific case is again computed through a shortest path algorithm. Or, uh, Finally, we can have uh, travel demand that is obtained through a social, social demographic survey of the population, and the traffic assignment that in that case is, uh, employs a relaxation algorithm over a shortest path one. So, again, the question is the same. Is it important from a networking point of view to consider more complex, uh, uh, let's say, uh, traffic flow models like the one uh, on the right that was in the, on the right, or we just can rely on models uh, that are simplistic like the one on the left? And once more, the answer is uh, no. We need to have the maximum of the, of the realism that we can achieve since this is impacting, again, the node degree or the number of clusters. Okay, so overall, uh, this was just a, a, a quick uh, discussion of why... Uh, we need uh, to be realistic uh, in all the aspects, all the components uh, that allows us to generate uh, the, the road traffic from a networking point of view. And now the question is, okay, let's assume that we are realistic everywhere. So we really have a trace or a data set that is, has all this uh, realism uh, in all of the components. The question is, uh, if we build uh, a graph, so a, uh, the connectivity graph, the, the network uh, uh, connectivity over this mobility, which, is, uh, which are the features of the network that we can see, uh, what's the characterization of the network, and in particular we will consider one specific large-scale urban scenario, because this is the scenario that we have uh, at our uh, disposal. So, uh, yes, let me, in fact, uh, uh, before discussing the results, uh, let me just uh, state that uh, all this goes somehow uh, against the, the standard uh, procedure or the standard flow uh, that we have to study uh, protocols for vehicular networks today, in the sense that over the last 10 years, hundreds or thousands of protocols have been proposed for vehicular networks that deal uh, with uh, all the layers. So you have protocols that, uh, uh, let's say, are designed to uh, implement data dissemination or uh, distributed caching uh, at the application layer. You have pro routing protocols at the network layer. You have medium access co control protocol and cluster formation protocols at the link layer, etc. And we have tons of those, uh, of those protocols. And uh, Strangely enough, those protocols are designed for a network 
that we don't really know. Because, again, today, if uh, uh, we want to answer to a question such as, okay, but overall this network, this vehicular network, is something that is very well connected, or it's very disconnected, or it's in between the two? Uh, or uh, what's the size of, of those connected components that we can observe uh, in, a, in a real world vehicular network? Or what's the internal structure of the clusters inside the clusters are, let's say, provide a, a, a good connectivity, so they resist a lot of paths from one node to the other, or they are somehow less connected? Uh, and you have other questions, okay, so how sparse or dense is the one-hop communication neighborhood, so how many neighbors do I have in the end? Uh, how do the, these features vary over time and over space, since this is a network that changes over time and space? And well, we don't have answers, so we basically don't know a lot about the network. Still, we're keeping on designing protocols for the network that possibly are even useless, in the sense that uh, if the network is disconnected, there is no point in studying uh, a routing protocol. Of course, if then I, I evaluate one of those protocols with a very unrealistic vehicular mobility, then I can come up with the results that, okay, are totally useless in the end. So this is our reference scenario. Uh, it basically depicts uh, the mobility with the level of detail and uh, accuracy that we really need uh, uh, over 24 hours uh, in the region uh, uh, around Köln in Germany, or Cologne. Uh, it includes uh, 700,000 trips and, uh, well, you have basically uh, state-of-the-art tools that were chosen for each component in order to generate the trace. And uh, if we study the network that is built on top of that mobility, what do we observe? So we can uh, uh, actually first analyze uh, the network from uh, a network level point of view. That is to say, we look at the whole uh, graph at once, and there uh, uh, we have uh, a cumulative distribution function of the number of components, so the, the, the number of groups of nodes that can talk to each other, but are disconnected from other groups of nodes. And uh, the CDF and the complementary CDF in the inset plot of the component size, so how big those components are. And from that we can already see something, that is to say, most of the time in the network we have between uh, 1,500 and 2,000 disconnected components. Which means, uh, given that in those scenarios we typically have between uh, a few thousand vehicles up to 18,000 vehicles, the network is uh, very disconnected. We have plenty of uh, blocks, let's say, or plenty of groups of nodes that cannot really talk to each other. Even worse, 60% of those components are actually have a size one, which means they are isolated nodes. Okay? So basically vehicles that do not, do not have the possibility to talk not even with one other vehicle. And uh, if we look uh, a little bit on the right, uh, actually the components with more than 10 vehicles are less than 5%, which means that 95% of those components has 10 vehicles or less, and you cannot do a lot with a component of 10 vehicles. There is not even, uh, you know, networking challenges to be addressed there, because the component is so small that you don't really need uh, complex protocols to deal with the component. However, on the positive side, we could say, if we look at the CCDF, we observe that, uh, in fact, sometimes we have uh, very large components that are appearing, and uh, those components can comprise up to 4,000 vehicles. So we actually can observe sometimes uh, huge components where thousands of vehicles can actually reach each other. So there maybe we can do something. And of course, those results are aggregated over time and space, so if we want to observe the impact of time and space, we, can, uh, we end up with something like this. So there you have uh, basically a, a number of snapshots of the, of the network. Again, the, the bubbles represent uh, uh, components, and uh, each uh, snapshot is taken at a different hour from 6 a.m., uh, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., etc., up to uh, 8 p.m., and uh, each component uh, has a size and color that corresponds basically to the size of the component. And so we can see that, as an example, at 6 a.m. Uh, there's very small traffic on the network, so the network is mainly disconnected. You never have components larger than uh, uh, 40 nodes. 
However, during the morning traffic peak, we have the appearance of large components. This is actually where we see those uh, components comprising thousands of vehicles that uh, emerge in specific locations, namely city center and uh, areas where uh, daily commuters converge to enter the city. However, once the morning uh, uh, traffic peak uh, has, uh, has expired, basically we return to a network that is very disconnected all over the day and we get some connectivity again, but only during the afternoon peak. So overall, the network has uh, a low availability in the sense that uh, where we can really do something with the network is only at specific uh, times of the day and uh, in specific locations. Otherwise, the network is basically useless. And uh, now if we move inside the components, we can try to understand how they look like, uh, well, inside. And so we, we perform a, a component level analysis and uh, in particular, of course, we're interested in understanding how large components uh, look like. Because uh, if I have a component of 10 vehicles there, I don't really care about the internal structure because in any case, from a networking point of view, it's, it's not so interesting. So if we look at inside large components, we have some other bad news from a networking point of view. Uh, that is to say the fact that the network, the, the, the network component is basically typically, or large network components are highly unstable, that is to say they tend to split and merge all the time due to the presence of what we refer to as weak ties. Uh, basically what happens is something uh, uh, like what's depicted on the right pictures. Uh, there you, we have the structure, internal structure of one component at uh, one given time instant, uh, time instant uh, and uh, there you have the size of the component is uh, 1600 nodes and uh, each dot uh, or each bubble is uh, one node in this case, one vehicle and the size uh, of the bubble tells us what's the between the centrality of the vehicle in the component so how important that vehicle is in the structure of, of the component and actually this is the same component one second later where the size has dropped to 1000 and basically the, all the upper part of the component uh, has disappeared. And the reason is that basically there where you have uh, uh, let's say high be between a centrality, so you have nodes that actually uh, kept together the, the component, uh, just experience a, a, a broken link, so it is sufficient to break a link for the component to become uh, disconnected. So in s the, the, the internal structure of the component is something that is not reliable at all. And of course, this also implies that components have a low navigability. That is to say, those are not small words or uh, components that are uh, such that it is easy to go from one node to the other. Uh, so there we're comparing the average uh, shortest path in the component to uh, the other shortest path that is here of a typical small uh, world uh, network that is uh, a random uh, erdos rheny graph. A, we can, and we can see that the average shortest path in our case, uh, in all the situations, is much higher than the, the average shortest path that we have in a small world network. So overall, the, the component is not uh, very easy. Uh, in fact, it's difficult to navigate. Finally, if we move at the level of one uh, individual node, so we zoom farther in our uh, uh, connectivity network, we see that uh, looking at the CDF and CCDF of the node degree, so how many neighbors uh, a node uh, direct, one op neighbors a node has, we can see that 60% uh, of the vehicles, in fact, have uh, a, a node degree that is uh, uh, less than 5. So basically, 60% of the vehicles just have uh, no more than 4 uh, neighbors, so a very small neighborhood. However, looking at the CCDF, we have sometimes vehicles that have uh, more than 100 neighbors. And uh, looking at uh, how the vertex degree, uh, the node degree, uh, relates to the node degree of the neighbors, basically we have a linear uh, relationship that means that the network is assortative. That is to say, nodes that have uh, a high degree have, uh, as neighbors, nodes that have also a high degree. Nodes that have a low degree, a low number of neighbors, have as neighbors nodes that have also a low degree. Which basically means that uh, those large, dense neighborhoods are very localized. Uh, since the, 
well, the network is assorted. And uh, summing up uh, a little bit all of those results uh, and looking at them from a purely networking perspective, this means uh, that the network is not really available, so we can uh, uh, have it, uh, uh, we can have a usable, uh, exploitable uh, connectivity only at given uh, times of the day and regions in space, and also it's not really reliable because those components that we can really use, they, they split and merge continuously, which advocates in, for, in favor of the utilization of carry and forward transmission techniques instead of uh, connected multi-op techniques for the communication uh, in the network. And of course the deployment of roadside units will be uh, fundamental, mandatory, to achieve connectivity both between components and or among components and inside components. And, uh, well, if we really want to do routing in that network, we definitely need geographic information, so use of a GPS. And finally, uh, let's say that the results uh, suggest that it is uh, uh, extremely important to have link layer protocols that are efficient, since uh, the node uh, finds itself, uh, or the vehicle finds itself, uh, in very different conditions, uh, at a short time distance. So a node that has at a given time uh, two neighbors can have one minute later 100 neighbors. So we really need uh, MAC, layer, uh, MAC layer protocols uh, uh, that are uh, uh, able to adapt dynamic dynamically to those changing, rapidly changing networking conditions. We need data rate adaptation protocols that uh, uh, are actually, again, able to adapt to the environment. Power control eventually for, uh, for um, achieve a better network connectivity. So overall, uh, let's say those link layer protocols that are typically disregarded by the networking community uh, risk to play a critical role in having a network that is really usable. And finally, let me say that uh, well, all of this discussion uh, is somehow the tip of the iceberg in the sense that, uh, uh, of course, this is a, let's say, initial analysis, but there's plenty, plenty of questions uh, that stay open. So, uh, as an example, if we improve the characterization of the road traffic, if we have a more realistic representation of the road traffic, uh, well, is this going to be important from the point of view of the network? So if we compare what we have now with a more realistic representation of the traffic, whatever that means, does this improve or change uh, the, the behavior of the network? And can actually we obtain a, a representation that is more realistic than this one? So also another question is what's the impact of the city layout? We only had this data set uh, uh, that we could use, but uh, if other that data set come out, then uh, Okay, does the, the connectivity in Cologne look the same as the connectivity in another city? And then uh, the, the analysis that we did is just on uh, snapshots of the network, but uh, if we aggregate them instead of studying, an, uh, let's say, individual graphs, we study a time-expanded connectivity graph uh, that is useful as an example for disruption-tolerant networking, what do we see? Uh, also, if, uh, you know, in that case, the, the complexity of, of the analysis of the graph uh, explodes. And uh, finally, well, one possible question is knowing, learning about those, uh, those uh, information, learning those information about the structure of the network, does it really help us to design a protocol? So how can we exploit the strengths uh, or make up for the weaknesses uh, of the connectivity of the network? Um, in the design uh, of, of actual protocols. And, well, part of those questions are questions I hope to, to uh, address in the future, but I think those are really questions, not just for me, but for the, for the networking community, because it's critical to answer them before being able to design protocols that are really uh, dedicated to the vehicular network and are, and are not just uh, a reuse of existing protocols. Okay. Well, this concludes the talk. Uh, thank you very much. Sure. You've been placing great emphasis in this talk on the connectivity of a snapshot of the network. Yeah. But it seems to me that the motivating examples didn't rely on that in any shape or form. You know, if I have a, a police vehicle that wants to get through, then I only need to know about it when it's nearby, you know? Or if, yeah. or if there's a collision in the city centre, 
and, and I'm off somewhere else. I don't care, you know. So it would seem almost as if that kind of activity would naturally come when I need to share the information. So I'm wondering. Uh, I mm, I agree in the sense that uh, uh, let's say that uh, uh, there's a gap there because the application I. I talked about are actually the application that I see personally as the applications that are more practical and uh, more actually applications we could really have. But this is not necessarily the view of uh, a lot of people doing research in this field. Uh, and uh, actually, I would say that the vast majority of the people who work in vehicular network, they are keep keeping on proposing protocols that, uh, uh, or applications that rely on uh, the full network. So if I see uh, you are right when you say there's a gap because the motivation is like my personal motivation for the vehicular networking and the analysis is more somehow that uh, I do as a recommendation towards the community to say okay pay attention because if you envision those kind of applications, those kinds of protocols, well they may, might not be applicable at all to the reality. Okay. Can, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Even if I take care about those gaps, could I not fill them in with a small amount of cellular traffic? You know, so, so like if I'm totally disconnected, sure, that, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. But those large clusters, uh, can they not use a cellular network, you know, per cluster in order to make it? Again, again, uh, um, I agree in the sense that given the kind of structure that we have, the kind of network connectivity that we have, uh, you know, an open question is, does it really make sense uh, to try to exploit uh, this vehicle-to-vehicle uh, -vehicle communication without uh, relying somehow on the, on the cellular infrastructure? If you look at the use cases, for me, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, the answer is no, like, doesn't make sense. Uh, if you really want to communicate from one side to the other of the city, or even from one neighborhood to the other of the city, you're going to pass through the infrastructure. But again, this is not what most of the community thinks. Sure.